In the late 1970s, I was driving along the highway and God began to speak to me by his spirit. And he said, I have called you and set you in the body of Christ as an apostle. I screamed out, Apostle, what is that? The church I was attending at that time believed there were apostles and prophets. I knew some people at that church group who were prophets, but I didn't know anyone who said they were an apostle. But this church group taught there were apostles. So I went to our Bible teacher, and I said to him, who are the apostles at the church? And he said, well, I don't know. And I said to him, well, what do they do? And he said, I don't know. So I turned to God with those questions. I turned to God and said, what do apostles do? And he began teaching me. This is what I'm going to share with you today, what God showed me the New Testament apostles do. After Jesus arose, he gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, Ephesians chapter 4. Some churches say there are no apostles today or prophets. There are no apostles or prophets today. But there's not any place I read in the New Testament Bible which says that these offices have been eliminated. After Jesus was resurrected, he gave to the church some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. So what do they do? And can we prove that they really exist? We shouldn't have to prove that they really exist, but many churches teach that there are no more apostles today. Many churches teach Paul was the last apostle. This makes absolutely no sense by the New Testament Bible. Paul is not the apostle who replaced Judas. In Acts chapter 1, we read about them replacing Judas. Peter said to the church that they had to replace Judas. They had to replace him with another person. Acts chapter 1, verse 21, Peter said, Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. So Justice and Matthias were the two people selected to replace Judas, to be the twelfth apostle. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen 
that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lots fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So Matthias was the twelfth apostle, not Paul. At the time this happened, Paul was out persecuting the Christians. After Jesus arose, after the crucifixion and resurrection, he gave gifts to the church. After the resurrection, Jesus is in heaven giving these gifts to the church. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. This is a continual, ongoing process. For the past 2,000 years, Jesus has been appointing ministers to work in the church. After I was born again, I was asleep in the night and I was taken into heaven. At that time, I was merged into the body of Jesus with God and the Holy Spirit witnessing. I was made one with the Word of God. It was wonderful. A few nights later, the exact same thing happened to me a second time. I had no idea why this had happened, but I was totally on fire after that for things of God. I owned a business at the time, but I no longer cared anything about the business. I had three women who worked for me, and they could keep the business going. I could stay home all day long and read the Bible, which I did. I only had to go in to make appraisals and to go out and buy merchandise for the shop. Other than that, these women were perfectly capable of running the business. For the next four years, God trained me. I attended church and I went to a prayer group. And God used those places as training grounds to give me an opportunity to work in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. At the church I attended, at the Bible class, the man who taught the Bible class always said at some point during his class, does anyone have a word from the Lord? And I did have, every time, a word from the Lord. Often a word of knowledge concerning the human body, some kind of healing. Once in a while, I would have a doctrine, a revelation to share with them. But many times it would be a word of knowledge that concerned some problem that they were having. I had this same opportunity at the prayer group to present words of knowledge. So God used these two places to teach me what to do. I believe when I was taken into heaven the two times that I was at that time set in the two ministry offices to which I am ordained by God and called by God to work in, apostle and prophet. I knew what prophets do. 
God had been teaching me for two or three years about prophets. It's easy to go to the Old Testament and see examples of prophets. It's easy to see examples of prophets in the New Testament. But what about the apostles? This is what I was asking our Bible teacher. What do, what do apostles do? Now, I didn't tell him that I had, God had told me I was one. I never told anyone at that church that God had told me that. But I was trying to find out. So when I couldn't find out from the Bible teacher, I asked God to show me, and he did. He took me first to Acts 15. A problem had arisen in the church. A question came forth, and they had to resolve this question. Acts 15, verse 1, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. This is a serious question. Here we have all these Gentiles. Are we going to have to circumcise all the Gentiles in order for them to be saved? Verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, with these men, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Do we have to circumcise the Gentiles? So they went to Jerusalem and they met with the other apostles and the elders to consider this question. Verse 7, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us, and hath put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith." Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus, shall we be saved, even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Saul declaring what miracles and wonders God had worked among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered and said, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth these things. 
Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which are from among the Gentiles who are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, and they wrote letters by them after this manner, the apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Thessalia, for as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, those are prophets, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. Therefore the Gentiles did not have to be circumcised. At that point in time, when this happened, they didn't have the New Testament epistles. They didn't have the doctrines of Christ written out for them in the New Testament Bible. They had to make decisions when questions arose in the church. Today we have the New Testament Bible to go by, but unfortunately, a great many churches do not go by the New Testament Bible. God anoints apostles to deal with doctrine. Very heavily, apostles will speak doctrine of the New Testament Bible to help straighten out that which the churches are doing today. They had a question in those days about circumcision. We have a question today concerning divorce and remarriage. Some churches allow women to divorce and remarry. Some churches do not. In some churches, the doctrine is taught saying that they are free to remarry. But what does the Bible say? We have to always come back to what does the Bible say. Not only do we come back to what does the Bible say, but we compare Scripture with Scripture. And we present that doctrine. So when you see someone who's ordained as an apostle, that person is going to present Scripture to the church to try to settle doctrinal problems. The Apostle Paul presented doctrine to us in the form of the epistles written to the different churches, 
whereby he stated the commandments of the Lord for the New Testament church. Those are printed for us today in the Bible. Now, we've already seen how Paul couldn't replace Judas. Paul was out persecuting the Christians at the time they made that decision in Acts 1, where Matthias took the place of Judas. So where does Paul fit in as an apostle? He did not fit the requirements set forth by Peter to be a replacement for Judas. What were the requirements in Acts 1? It had to be someone who had kept company with the apostles from the time of John the Baptist through the resurrection of Jesus. Paul, during that time, was persecuting the Christians. So how can Paul be an apostle? That's what people ought to be asking. How can Paul be an apostle? Well, it's really very easily answered. Ephesians chapter 4. After Jesus arose, he gave to the church some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the work of the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Paul was not the last apostle, as some churches teach. Paul was one of the first of the New Testament apostles, as presented in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11-12. We read in 1 Corinthians that by the foolishness of preaching, God chose to save them who were being saved. Preaching is very foolish. You've got the New Testament Bible. Why would you need me? Well, only because it's the will of God to do it this way, to have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You have the same Bible I have. You know the same things I have. Yet God has me present to you things out of the New Testament Bible. Let's look at what Paul said about the subject of a divorced woman. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. And unto the married I command, says Paul, yet not I but the Lord. Paul is saying this is a commandment of the Lord for the women in the church. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. Romans chapter 7. Paul says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Some churches say, we don't go by the law today. 
This is a twisted perversion. We do not go by the law of Moses today, but we do go by the law of the New Testament Bible. And Paul is talking to the New Testament church when he says if this woman remarries, she will be called an adulteress. If she divorces and remarries while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. There's so much perversion and twisting in the churches today in the doctrines. Apostles will come along like this, like me, and state these scriptures for your consideration. For when you compare one scripture with another scripture, the scriptures don't deny themselves. They agree. Paul says, If while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, It is the commandment of the Lord, Let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled with her husband. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 32, Jesus is speaking to the men and he says the following, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is put away, that is divorced, committeth adultery. If a man divorces a faithful wife, she will go out and remarry, and that point where she remarries, she commits adultery, but the husband who divorced her is the cause of her adultery. But she will commit adultery if she remarries. And the man who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus speaking in Mark chapter 10. Question had arisen concerning divorce and remarriage. And Jesus addresses it in this section of scripture. Verse 6. From the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. So then they that are no more twain but one flesh. Now, Paul tells us at the time of sexual intercourse, the two become one flesh. And he warns the men about having sex with an harlot because they will become one flesh. And Paul says, are you going to take this harlot and make her a member of the body of Christ? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So Jesus is saying, the two will be one flesh, and it's at the time of sexual intercourse that this happens, according to Paul. Jesus says, So what God therefore hath joined together, let not man put asunder. In verse 11, Jesus says to them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. This is repeated for us in 
Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away doth commit adultery. The man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is what the scriptures say. This is not what the churches today are teaching, so far as I know. Most of the churches I have been to permit men to marry divorced women. They permit divorced women to remarry. They say, well, if the man is committing fornication against the woman, then they can remarry. That is not what the Bible says. Jesus says to the men, if you divorce a faithful wife, you will be the cause of her adultery. She will commit adultery if she remarries after divorce, but you're going to be the cause of it. Now, if the wife is not faithful, the husband could remarry without committing adultery. But the woman cannot remarry without committing adultery. This will not seem right to you because you have in your mind the concept that male and female are alike and have to be treated equally because that's the doctrine of the world. But it is not the doctrine of the Bible. God intended the seed to be pure that the woman produced and women didn't have multiple husbands when the husband was living. In, in, even in the Old Testament, the man did have multiple wives, but the women didn't have multiple husbands. There was a difference made between men and women. And there is a difference in the New Testament between men and women. So if you're going to say the woman has the right to leave this husband who is a fornicator, if she has the right to leave him and remarry, you better look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. For Paul says it is a commandment of the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled with her husband. So if her husband is committing fornication against her and she chooses to leave him, she needs to have it firmly planted in her mind that she cannot remarry, even though her husband was committing fornication. Let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Now, these are the things the scriptures say. Apostles will present doctrine from the Holy Bible and especially from the New Testament to the New Testament church to try to straighten out some of these doctrinal problems. A woman who was once in our church group was just furious with a pastor. She was a divorced woman. She wanted to remarry. She and her intended went to a pastor to see if it would be permissible for her to remarry. The, uh, the pastor said to her, Well, my sister remarried after divorce. I don't see anything wrong with it. So she and this man, they married after she had been divorced. Then she read the scriptures after she was born again. 
and she saw she committed adultery. According to the scriptures, she had committed adultery, and she was so angry with this pastor. She said, he told me we could remarry. He shouldn't have told me that. Well, he shouldn't have told her that. She had a Bible. She could go and see what the Bible says. You're very foolish if you go to a pastor and ask him if it's all right for you to remarry after you're divorced. For he may tell you that it is. I was watching television news one day, and the Catholic Pope came on screen, and they asked him about homosexuals. And he said, well, I don't see anything any wrong with being a homosexual. And I screamed out, what about the Bible? See what, what will happen if you don't go to the scriptures? You could be led completely wrong way by going to a pastor or going to the Catholic Pope or one of those people, you could be led totally opposite from the Scripture. So I, will, I recommend to you that you first pray and ask God to show you the truth when you have a question. And then go to the section of Scripture which talks about the subject and read all the sections of Scripture about that subject. As a new Christian, even before I knew that I was called to be a minister, I ran into a problem at church. The church, first church that I went to was a little church called Believer's Chapel, and I would describe it as a doctrine somewhere between Church of Christ and Baptist. And they taught that speaking in tongues was of the devil. One day I was reading the Bible, and I came across a scripture in 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul said, Covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak in tongues. Well, they were certainly forbidding tongues at the church I was attending and teaching that tongues were of the devil. And here is the Bible telling me the opposite. So I de decided to settle the question by going to every scripture that dealt with the subject of speaking in tongues, I really was going to prove that you shouldn't speak in tongues. But when I looked at every one of the scriptures in the New Testament on the subject, I was convinced that tongues were a legitimate thing from God and sh we should not forbid them in the church. And I left that church that was teaching against tongues and went to another church. I settled it by all the scripture. I convinced myself by the scriptures. And you can do the same thing if you wish to do so. But you may go the wrong direction completely if you go to a pastor or if you go to a Catholic priest it may take you a completely opposite direction from the scriptures. Concerning homosexuals and lesbians, Romans chapter 1 presents this doctrine. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God 
into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Romans chapter 1 verse 26, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. In the sight of God it is vile affections. For homosexuals and lesbians, the acts committed by homosexuals and lesbians is described in the Bible as vile affections. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. I had a cleaning woman who was a Catholic woman, and she asked me about homosexuals, and I read this scripture to her in verse, Romans 1, verses 26 and 27. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. Catholic woman looked at me and said, but what about the talk shows where they say they were born that way? I didn't have an answer for her, except to say this is what the Bible says, it's vile affections. What about the, those people who say they've always been homosexual? They've always been a lesbian. They were born that way. God explained it to me a few days later after the Catholic woman asked me the question. And here is the way he explained it. From Mark chapter 10, verse 6. Jesus says, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. And that just settled it for me. Now, it won't settle it for those people who aren't of God. But for those of us who are of God, we should see the truth through these scriptures. When they're born, they're either male or female. Along the way, if they dispense with the things of truth which God has shown them, and they go in another type of wisdom, God might choose to turn them over to be homosexual or lesbian. 
They don't have to always be homosexual or lesbian. If God reveals the truth to them and they accept the truth, then they're just like any other sinner. They're born again. So certainly they can be saved, but they will not continue in the sin. It's just like the woman who was the adulteress and was brought before Jesus. He said, go and sin no more. She couldn't continue in that sin. He didn't condemn her. But, they, but she could not continue in the sin. If she continued in the sin, she would condemn herself after the knowledge of the truth about the sin. A great many churches today are teaching their people God loves you and forgives you and wants you to be happy and all your sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. No matter what you do, you're covered by the blood of Jesus. We are in the sins before we're born again. But what about after you are enlightened and then covered by the blood of Jesus? Are you covered after you are enlightened to that sin, if you go out and continue in that sin of being a homosexual or a lesbian, a drunkard, a fornicator, adultery? Are you, what's your status then? Well, it's a very serious matter because in order for the blood of Jesus cover those sins after you've been enlightened to the sin, you would have to crucify Jesus afresh a second time. We overcome with the scripture. We overcome through God, through prayer, with the scripture. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, He that overcometh, Jesus says, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. We should be able to see by that verse that our names could be blotted out of the book of life. If we go back to our previous sins for which we have been forgiven and we begin again to be entangled by those sins of this world. Closing with three scriptures that show this. Hebrews chapter 10, we'll start with verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much more punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under foot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despot unto the Spirit of grace? For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, 
I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's Hebrews chapter 10. So we warn each other, don't return to your previous sins to commit those sins. It will be a fearful fate for you. Second Peter chapter 2 says how fearful it will be. Verse 20. For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it is happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. There's another section of scripture on this same subject and it is in Hebrews chapter 6. Start at verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. The things I've shared with you today show you the work of an apostle of God. God will have us share multiple scriptures usually on the same subject so that scripture compared with scripture convinces us and persuades us of the way of God so we go in the way of God and give up doctrines that conflict with the Bible. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.